Um, hello, everybody. This is Susan, and I have with me my my partner in Story Conversation, Simon. Say hello, Simon. Hi, everyone. So, um, everybody, welcome to, to the, the latest episode of Story Conversations. And who do we have on tap today, Simon? Yeah, well, you know, Susan, as you know, we want to feature on these um, episodes lots of different kinds of storytellers. So we want to have people from the arts, people from different industries. And today we have someone from the world of business, so someone who, who deals with research and insights. Um, our guest is Gunny Scarfo, who is one of the co-founders of Nonfiction Research. Um, he has a fascinating backstory, and the way that he and his organisation are applying stories and storytelling and narrative in the world of research and insights is something that I think our listeners will really enjoy. So let's start the episode and start the conversation. Well, welcome, Gunny. I wonder if you could kick us off today by just telling us a little bit about your background and the origin story of nonfiction research. Yeah, I'll I'll start this story earlier than and in a more intimate way than I think I've talked about it in the past, which is that uh, I grew up uh, outside of Philadelphia uh, in Pennsylvania, and um, I went to a school which was in an area that was filled with amazingly like talented people and it's just an incredibly rich community but it was also a community that was hit hard by poverty and drugs and violence and um, I think we and I'll say we despite having had some advantages that some or many of the people around me didn't have. But like we saw ourselves as uh, outsiders in some way uh, compared to the communities around us. And uh, we often, I think, felt like we were living real life while other people were living some Candyland version Mm -hmm. of life. And uh, even within the school, I I could see how there were, uh, a lot of the kids around me were just as smart as the kids who were getting ahead, but they were getting left behind. And it's fashionable for us at nonfiction to talk about our origin being in the, you know, I worked for Vice and uh, my co-founder worked at L2 Research with Scott Galloway. But but I think the real origins of nonfiction research are go all the way back to um, a sense that, that we live in a world where uh, sometimes like there's like a, a richness in people that never makes it to the institution of the school or the institution of a college or the institution of the business world. And I personally, I'll speak for myself, have been filled with a, uh, a a drive and a desire that borders on the pathological to like take that real life that I lived and saw and jam it into the hearts of America's corporations. Um, and so uh, I, I came up as a marketer. Uh, through, uh, I was a head of strategy at a company that 
got bought by a company that got bought by a company that do that 35 more times and ended up Accenture Interactive, the largest digital uh, agency on earth. And uh, I worked there with Ben Zeidler, my co-founder, and he was the head of research, I was the head of strategy, and we, we would, you know, do the work we were supposed to do, we would read the research about people, and then we would come up with the strategies, and then once we started doing our own research, we just sat there and we would look at the research that we saw from other places, and it just felt so shallow, and so rational, and so divorced from that real life that we had seen and lived and that all of us in in some ways like experience when we're not at work so we just wanted to close that gap and so we started doing research even back at that agency in somewhat unconventional ways where we would uh, just go hang out with the customers and um, we would uh, go undercover at places and we went unchaperoned inside of a prison and we would do a bunch of stuff that you're kind of not normally doing in research and uh frankly it didn't go over well uh with the other people in the company really they were like why aren't you at your desk uh how are you gonna how are you gonna track those hours in the uh in the hour tracking system and we were like there's something bigger that we're after so ben and i went our separate ways for a year we both left that agency after one of the acquisitions and um, he went to work with Scott Galloway. I went to Vice, but the whole time we were kind of dreaming of getting ourselves back together. And then we launched nonfiction in 2018 around a really simple idea, which probably started with us in like middle school separately, which is that most people don't like open their souls to market researchers. Market research is good at having graphs and charts and sounding professional and it's presented by people who are wearing collars and they do hand gestures <laughs> like like these hand gestures and it, it seems like a perfectly valid enterprise but in some ways market research is really spiritually bankrupt i think um, it doesn't really capture the stories of everyday people most of the time and so uh nonfiction is all about doing whatever it takes to get past that so uh, we start every project with a not a research technique, like a focus group or, or even like a topic necessarily, but we start everything with a question uh, that we agree with, with the client, that that's the question that they want an answer to. And then we do whatever it takes to come back with the real answer from the real people. So we've, um, for one thing, we like built a software program from scratch that would help us like uh, download public Spotify playlists to understand like what <clears throat> intimate secrets are lurking in people's Spotify playlists. We've done nationwide studies on sex and money and intimacy. And um, we've spent time with bank robbers, with uh, male and female escorts to understand all of that. And, and we do all of that both in our own self-published work that we finance ourselves and we do it for companies large and small, from Disney to Goldman Sachs to Coinbase to Ad Council to Flamin' Hot Cheetos. We like we just bring the same approach of trying to get at those real stories that are in people's lives and and forcing them, damn it, into the hearts of corporations so that they understand real human beings better. 
uh, that is amazing. I love the idea of, of pathological passion fueling entrepreneurs. I mean, um, you know, and, and I can I can imagine clients being hungry for this because I think I think my experience is that you're absolutely right about the kind of emptiness of a lot of research but when clients come to you or respond to you and they start an engagement and they then realize just how different approach an approach this is going to be to getting at their answers do you find them leaning in or getting scared or you know that process is is so new, so novel. I, I can imagine that there's a, a lot of handholding that you have to do. Um, I'm so first of all, that's a great question, and it was a question that uh, some of our investors had when we started the company. Where <laughs> you know we were like, you don't understand. There's this like thirst and hunger for understanding customers better. It's going to become like more and more. Uh, uh, fervent as the years go on and and that's why we're gonna do all these you know things that are thought of as abnormal to find insights and investors are like I don't think big companies are gonna pay you to do this crazy shit and uh, and we thought that they would and I have to say um, in terms of the question of like how hard is it to convince clients to trust this approach, I would say it's either a hundred percent hard or it's zero hard. And yeah. what we do is we just find the clients for whom it is zero hard to to convince them. And right. so I mean we do we walk away from a ton of work because we get the heebie jeebies that it's not gonna we're not gonna they're not going to want what we're going to give, but we're fortunate that most of the time when people hire nonfiction, they are doing it on purpose. It's not like we do have some cases where someone comes in and then we have all this stuff that we send them and tell them to try to preempt any issues. And we've only had, we've only had one bad experience. I would say uh, we had one client that was like, we know who you are. We know what nonfiction is. We want nonfiction. And then when they got the final product, they were like, uh, we don't want this. And uh, <laughs> please do not show this to anyone. There was a line in the email that said, uh, even showing this research to our own employees could present some level of risk or something like that. We're like, damn, okay. So that, that was our only like miss. But uh, most of the time, most of the time, like in, in a way that our investors, I think, will be happy about you're right Susan like people really do want it there's a hunger to to get to the realer stories of customers and uh, the, a lot of companies get it they get it so for them zero heart you know I, I, I love the fact that you talk about in intimacy you know, and there's just a lot of talk about empathy. You know, you can't swing. I mean, you, there's so much talk about empathy, and yet you you are literally going for intimacy, going for that real stuff that so many clients tend to. They say they want it, 
but then they're very nervous about what it really is because it means they may have to change, right? Um, and uh, I, I, I love the fact that, you know, <laughs> think about all the innovations that they say fail. You know, 80% of new products fail and what I don't know what the stat is for... 90% of all advertising fails, but 100% of all of those have been tested. So everybody knows <laughs> that the methods are not necessarily working, but I can't think of another agency who has literally been willing to do what you're doing um, to yeah, reveal and, these truths and answers. Yeah, and, and speaking of that, kind of flipping it on its head, you, you, un, you tap into some pretty unusual audiences in... You know, to serve your clients' needs, so bank robbers, professional escorts, as some of the examples. If if it's hard to convince a client that this is a, a a valid way of research, how hard is it to convince these people that they should they should give you information? You know, to, to get them to open up and to share their stories. How difficult is that? Yeah. So um, that's a that's a great question. The the, it just briefly in the lead up to your question, like if I had one thing to tell uh, listeners to this podcast about this kind of thing, it's that if you stick to your guns about uh, how you are going to go about doing whatever work it is you do. So for us, it's, it's research. We just believe this is the right way to do research. And, uh, we're a pretty take it or leave it kind of thing, not because we're uh, good, but just because we think this is the way you ought to do it. And so we we routinely, uh, how do I put it? There, there's a peace of mind from doing that. You will lose a lot of business, right? There's no question about it. But you will also discover a bunch of business that you might not have found had you just done that other thing and like compromised. And so I don't, I don't mean to say that it's not a struggle for us. It is a struggle for us. And we talk about specific projects a lot. Like, should we be taking this? Is this the right, like, are, are we going to be able to do nonfiction work with this project? Um, so it's not like we get it right all the time. We get it wrong sometimes, but, but just sticking to your guns is like, uh, they they either come along and they love it or they don't come along and that's that's cool too and they would be better served by someone else um and in terms of working with people the sort of like uh, characters that are not typically spoken to in market research um there are a few things that are really important when doing it um and the first thing is uh I don't have a good word for this, but it is uh, a level of integrity in the conversation before the conversation ever happens. If you are talking to a bank robber because you are looking to be sensational, uh, that conversation is not going to go well. You're, you're not going to get insights that are useful. It's, you're going to feel like a... Uh, like an imposter the whole way through. But if you are trying to understand uh, P. 
people's antipathy towards banking institutions, then why would you not talk to a bank robber, right? Like the the escorts, we were doing a study on um, on intimacy, on intimate relationships in America. And like to what extent do people have someone in their life that they can totally be themselves with? And if you're going to study that sort of thing, and that was probably the most emotional thing we've ever studied. That's probably the most I've ever cried during a research project. Uh, how could you not talk to the people who are literally paid for companionship when all else fails? And so the first quality or the first, I don't know, principle of talking to, uh, what I'll call unusual characters, not that they are inherently unusual, but including them in market research is unusual, is having an integrity of purpose um, that you can tell them, this is what I'm doing and this is what I'd like to understand. Uh, would you like to talk about it? Um, and so that, that's the first thing. And then in the conversation itself, there are people who we all have in our lives that everyone just opens up to immediately. And there are other people who look like they are reading from an instruction book of how to be a human. Uh, I remember uh, I got a hug from somebody one time where I was like, did you read, like, did you Google how to hug and then try to do the hug? It felt like, uh, I don't know, it, it felt like uh, an actor, uh, like an alien acting like a human. And when it comes time for these kinds of conversations, you, you, you need to meet that person where they are and you need to, if you are going to ask someone else to rip open their own soul and to tell you things that they've never told anyone before, you must also rip open your own soul and at least meet them. And I always think back to this, uh, my, my metaphor for this in my own head is I remember when I was working at Vice, we were working like for a couple of weeks, we were there every night, like super late. And it was myself, a creative director and an analyst. Uh, and the creative director and I were older. We were in our late thirties, I guess. And the analyst was in his like, I don't know, early to mid twenties. And he was brilliant. Uh, but one night, uh, the creative director, uh, we were talking about loss, experiencing loss in your life. And he talked about uh, how he and his wife had lost a couple of children. And I had talked about the difficulty of losing my father. And it was not a hard conversation between us, but I looked over at this 26 year old analyst and he just looked like he wanted to be anywhere on this earth other than around this conversation. If you've been through it, you can relate to other people who have been through it. And when you're talking to a bank robber, to escorts, to uh, doulas, to special forces operators, like these are all people that we've had conversations with in the last however many years, the person you send into that conversation can't be the artificial hugger. It can't be in this metaphor, the 26-year-old analyst who hasn't lived enough. Uh, Rilke said you need to live your whole life and experience everything that life has to, 
to put you through. And at the end of your life, if you're lucky, you might be able to write like four good lines of poetry. But the entire life is what leads up to that. So the other thing I would say, is it hard to get people like bank robbers to like open up to you? Not if you, the person going into the interview, are able to like meet them where they are and rip open your own, be vulnerable and rip open your own self uh, in the same way. And that is the most important thing. There are some logistical things as well of assuring them that it will be anonymous and that their illegal activity will not be uncovered and <laughs> building trust and those sorts of things. And uh, You're doing a whole priest priesthood thing yes 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 there, yeah, there are some logistics right. that I, I don't mean to like uh sweep under the rug they're very important but those are really it's a it's a spiritual thing it's uh that you, it's hard to put into words yeah and, and you want go on, go go ahead. no i was just gonna say it, it it feels like um one of the things i will i will talk about when i'm working with clients is this idea of story listening about are you ready to hear and to absorb a story fully so that you're, you know, you're, you're open to that experience. And that's so much about being in a shared moment rather than being, as you say, the, the person who um, read the manual on hugging. You have to be genuine. You have to be, I hate to use the word, but you have to be authentic and, and present in order Story to... Story listening to. is an incredible, Simon, oh my God. <laughs> uh, I, I will uh, cite you as I tell everyone yeah, that he, term. That's an incredible he, term. He, he's got a jar. He's got a jar. You put a quarter in the jar every time you use the term. And it, what you do is so much richer than the the work that most agencies deliver to their customers. Um, and you know, you, you're not going in necessarily with a hypothesis that you then prove. You're being open to the wow that can come when you're actively listening and you and you actually hear stories. But I'm 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 wondering if if your clients if if you've watched your clients make good use of these stories that you uncover for them. I mean, I suppose that's not the end all and the be all, but in the, in the case of that one client who said, if we publish this internally to our employees, there would be risk. I mean, I'm wondering how many of your clients are ready to use the richness of what you bring to them. Yeah. So first of all, I would say like innovation in general is a low batting average kind of activity. So we know that like uh, a fair amount of our work, no matter how rich, uh, there's just something that happens in companies where things don't make it through to the end or that they come out different or there are other influences. And I mean, our job as researchers, like we work for the people more than we work for the company in a way. The company pays us to do the research and we feel... Uh, a deep obligation to deliver meaningful work, but ultimately we feel like we work for the people that we're studying. Um, and so not everything is gonna, how do I put this? We only have one piece of the marketing or innovation puzzle. Our job is to take the people's voice and bring it to the company. Sometimes there are other things that make it sensible not to act upon everything that they hear. So. I don't want to make it seem like, I don't know, I feel like agencies, they, 
you know, you, you like get a couple case studies and then you act like everything you do just magically transforms the world and like revolutionizes <laughs> the future of commerce or something like that. And that's not, that's not real. Um, but I, I would say a couple things in answer to your question, Susan, which is first, I think that the stories, and I'll come back to the word stories in the research because I think it's, it's important. Um, but the stories that we bring back to uh, our clients, it is not unusual for clients to be choked up on a phone call when we are presenting research. And uh, that is something that I don't think happens with all research presentations. Uh, and of course it stays with you. Um, like sometimes the recommendations that we make based off of the research are immediately gobbled up and we can see them take shape in some way in the company. Other times we don't know the ways in which uh, those stories reverberate throughout those people in the future of their lives at our client company and even beyond. So um, we know that they hit hard, uh, not always, but I mean, uh, often when, when everything aligns, like they, they hit really hard and that those stories that we bring back are things that, that get talked about in future meetings. Uh, and sometimes they get like a nickname, like washing machine guy. Like we gotta keep in mind washing machine guy because the story involves some guy in a washing machine. Uh, but then in other ways, like you really do see the impact of the research on the work. We, we did some work for the ad council uh, in 2020, I guess, it, like uh, 2019 and 2020 around fatherhood. And the, the research topic was around uh, like low involvement fathers, like dads who don't spend a lot of time with their families. And the question that we were sort of asked to go after was, uh, what could we do to help dads want to be more with involved in their families? And so we set out to discover that. <clears throat> and we had a ton of one on uh, Lindsay waking on our team, uh, who's now our head of strategy. Uh, led that research a couple of years ago and she had a lot of like one-on-one -on -one conversations uh, with dads <clears throat> with uh, moms who felt underserved by the dads in their lives uh, we went to Appalachia to spend time with uh, guys who were coming out of prison and were taking fatherhood classes before going back into the real world in sort of like a halfway environment. Uh, we sat in on fatherhood classes in North Philly, in, uh, in New York City. And what we learned that Lindsay discovered was that um, you don't really need to da make most dads want to spend more time with their family. You need to convince them to keep going when obstacles are in their way. So a lot of these dads who are low involvement dads, 
They are wrestling with um, negative relationships with their kid's mother. They're wrestling with their own drug addictions. They're wrestling with uh, a very complicated like family court system. Uh, they have all of these obstacles in their place. And the easiest thing to do is to give up and to be lazy. But the message that the Ad Council needed to deliver, we discovered, was not, hey, dads, you should want, like, here are reasons to want to be more involved. The message was the same message that you would give uh, a soldier, uh, a Navy SEAL. Keep going. It's going to be tough. You have to embrace the suck. And, and go through it because it's important. And so in that research, we ended up talking to special forces operators uh, to understand like how they would train their, uh, once, we, once Lindsay uncovered that this was the real secret, we hunted out people who were good at training people to push through and to stay focused on a mission no matter how hard it got. And a lot of that influenced the work. And so that, that really influenced the campaign that Ad Council ran and uh, it seems like there might even be um, a public film coming out of it, uh, possibly. Oh, wow. So uh, keep your eyes on uh, Netflix or Prime or your uh, streaming platform of choice. So yeah, <laughs> in, in those ways, those stories that we discover, they not just influence the people at the company, but they influence the campaigns, they influence the innovation. Um, I think you'll be seeing some stuff from Goldman Sachs in the next 12 months that it'll be a, uh, influenced heavily by some of the work that we did together. And then, you know, you get this like fatherhood kind of stuff where, uh, you know, you, we're no heroes in this thing, but we got to play like a tiny little role of bringing those stories to the front. And now a lot of dads will be influenced because of that. And that's, that's an exciting thing to think about. So those, uh, it's interesting to hear that that the way that you draw those stories and those stories then lead to you having to go and find, I guess, other stories to to learn what to do with the stories you've already got. I mean, Susan and I are kind of obsessed with this idea that stories are utilitarian. They should, they can be utilitarian. They can be very practical. It's not just the end product. It's not just the thing that you deliver. It's a method of either investigation or exploration or communication. Um, and with with brands, if we switch to if we switch to the idea of you know brands and businesses, they're all trying to differentiate themselves these days. Um, are, have you got any sort of standout brands that you can think of that are, you feel are using stories and narratives effectively in that way? So the first thing I would say is like stories can function on multiple levels. And I really like what you just said about stories being utilitarian and not just being the output in like a 30 second TV commercial, but stories functioning along the way. And I think there are at least three different places where stories can and should live. We'll see by the time I get to the end of this list of three, whether I can remember <laughs> the other ones. <laughs> it's always uh, an adventure. Um, but the first one is in the, the research and the insights with the people. That's the one we've been talking about. But I want to make a really important point, which is that when most companies do research, not most, I don't, I don't know, when many companies do research, 
They're looking for opinions. They're looking for ideas. But those are relatively weak. Stories are strong. So if you're trying to discover why do people decide whether or not to buy our product, you could ask them, on a scale of one to five, what is your opinion about our product? Uh, on a scale of one to five, how useful does this product seem to you? Uh, you could even ask them in an open-ended way, whether it's a conversation or a survey or a focus group or whatever you wanted. You could ask them, why do you buy our product? Uh, why do you not buy our product? But if you've worked in research long enough, you realize that the answers to those types of questions are usually either obvious or not helpful. Like people don't self-analyze themselves well enough to, to give you great answers to those things. But if you ask someone, tell us a story of a time when you bought this product and you felt proud. Tell us a story of a time where you were going to buy this product, but you decided not to do it. What you will learn from those stories is so much richer and more valuable and incidentally, so much more practical as to figuring out why they do and do not buy it than just asking them their opinion or asking them why they buy it or don't buy it. Stories ought to be the building blocks, the little like things you give your kid that have like letters on them. Stories ought to be those building blocks of understanding customers. Now, you don't want to just end on the story. You also ought to do like wide scale, uh, methodologically unassailable quantitative work that helps as well. But like, but the stories are those building blocks. So that, that's the first level. The second level is once you understand what that customer wants, we're believers that the story should be in your brand or your, I kind of hate the word brand, like your company itself should have a story, should be a part of the story of the customer. So this isn't like, uh, like when you think of, I don't know, what, what's the most obvious example, like Red Bull or something like that. Like it's really clear that there, there are people who are, I don't know, like Olympic snowboarders or something. And there are people who sit behind a desk all day, but they both drink Red Bull to feel that like excitement. Like th there is a story inherent in the product of Red Bull that has nothing to do with that goofy colored drink that is about like energy and excitement and activeness and, and that sort of thing. And when you drink that bottle or can, what does Red Bull come in? Cans? Uh, when you drink that can of Red Bull, you are not just drinking the liquid, you are drinking exhilaration. Even if you are sitting behind a desk and you have not moved from that desk in eight hours, you are drinking exhilaration. There is a story in that brand. Um, Vice does a great job with that. Like when you watch Vice News, when you are reading Vice, you get the story, you get the sense that like, 
I don't know, these motherfuckers will go anywhere. Like there is no <laughs> limits, you know? Like when Vice News did the uh, report on ISIS from within ISIS in Syria, are you kidding me? That is that is like, uh, like that that is what Vice is. It's going to places where other entities, not just news sources, but like won't, won't go. That is inherent. When you go to work for Vice, you know what you are getting into. You understand the story of the company. And that's not like the origin story of the company. That's the story of how the company functions in the life of the customer, of the consumer. And then the last way that stories function is in the storytelling of the content or TVC or whatever that might be. And to me, that storytelling is the weakest. Not that it's the most poorly executed, but it's the least able to rock you. What is really able to rock you is when the company understands the, the sort of secret hidden stories in your life and when the company embodies a story in and of itself. When you're Red Bull, storytelling is easy, right? In the marketing industry, everybody looks at Red Bull like, we need to tell stories like Red Bull. It's like, well, Good luck, because right now the story of your company is like, we are the world's leading provider of rivet, of pyramidal rivets. <laughs> and it's like, how the fuck are you going to tell a story on that? You need to, you need to embody a story as a company. Right. And that way you right. don't have to do all this heavy lifting. And so it, it, it's hard, man. Like, so anyway, I don't know. That's that's my uh, uh, hot take on uh, on stories. I, I love the I love the, I love that hot take immensely. But I also love the idea that you said you don't know how the work you do is going to reverberate in a corporation, and you you know you don't necessarily have the sense of how it changes the personality within the company. You know, everybody saying we can't forget the washing machine guy. I mean, that's where your story is actually changing the behavior within the company that manifests their own story. Um, I'm curious, you know, what what is the most unexpected application of storytelling, or or, or you know, when you when you excavated a story for a client and and you said, wow, I had no idea they were going to take, take it in that direction. What, does anything come to mind? Yeah, uh, there, there's, there's, there's a story that comes to mind that maybe doesn't answer your question, just to admit that up front. But, <laughs> uh, but for some reason, your question made me think of it. And it was, uh, I've already talked about the fatherhood research. Um, but when it comes to bringing stories to clients... Like, here's an example of the power of it. In that fatherhood research, uh, Lindsay's key insight was around dads do want to be involved. There are just obstacles. The message you should give them is not you should want, but rather keep going. And I, uh, um, I did the visit to uh, the place in Appalachia um, where the dads were taking fatherhood classes. And uh, I was talking to one of the dads 
who told me that his uh, ex-wife uh, had remarried and the and his kids lived with the ex-wife and new husband and the the new guy is not a great guy is the best way I can put it and one Christmas there were no gifts under the guy I'll get emotional talking about this uh, there were no gifts under the tree for, for the kids and uh, the, the dad that I was talking to said uh, I can't let that happen now the guy that I was talking to was Muslim but his kids were being raised uh, the mom was uh, celebrated Christmas I'll say and the new dad celebrated Christmas and so after that time every year this guy even though he didn't totally have access to his kids he would buy Christmas presents as a Muslim he would buy Christmas presents for the kids wrap them and make sure that they were under the tree every year because wow. he never wanted the kids to wake up and not have Christmas gifts again. Now, Lindsay could have gone back to the ad council and said, hey, uh, here's what we found. Uh, a, lo a lot of these guys are actually um, like fighting over obstacles and we just have to tell them to keep going. And, uh, you know, 41% of dads agree and, uh, you know, um, we'd like to assure you that we heard this and, you know, here's a quote. Or you can tell that story. When you hear that story, you, you never forget that story of this dad, like, just participating in a religious tradition of some other culture, uh, still unable to see his kids, but cares enough to make sure that their experience is good. In that story is the entire finding of the project and there were a million of those but i think that is a great example of how when you do what was your term simon story listening story listening story listening you come back with things that will shake you to your core and help you understand the audience in ways that uh that no other format could and you've got to be able to recognize when you're hearing that that power i mean i think i think you you do in, in, innately we 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 know when we're being moved obviously because it, it is it is you know like, like you said you you feel it even now retelling that story you still feel it emotionally um i think it's interesting that you know particularly the work you're doing that businesses are willing to go there that it's important that they go there and you know to to sort of bring what susan was saying about that that approach i think it's i think it's fantastic that the research you're doing is getting that kind of traction that businesses are willing to engage emotionally with um the the research making decisions for a yeah. company on insights that are that profound i have to believe is so much better than making a decision on the basis of 41 percent of all fathers say x you know, I mean, it just, it's so much more profound and meaningful. Yeah. When you can bring those things together, when you can bring that story together with the quantitative uh, aspect that shows that it's not just this one person, but all of these things, 
it's just, uh, it's, it's something you see in all of our work. Like it's people's stories plus like the, the broader quantitative look plus like things in culture. When you bring those things together, it is, it is so powerful. Well, um, I'm just uh, just to sort of wrap us up in this conversation while we're on stories. I thought you know we often like to finish with a sort of fun one. Um, thinking about, do you have a favorite story? It doesn't have to be uh, one of your research stories. Any any favorite story, and why is it your favorite story? Um, most of my favorite stories are pretty like <laughs> like heartbreaking stories. So I'm not going to end with that. Uh, ben, uh, the co-founder of nonfiction, always like jokes he doesn't want us to become like the sad research company um so uh, i'll tell you instead something that uh, amused me um which is when we went out to uh raise money to start the company we didn't you know we're not like a software company we didn't need a lot but we just wanted like some runway uh so that we wouldn't uh start making terrible compromises uh in the in the in the company um we were trying to like uh some people got it immediately and some people uh would never get it and they were like we don't understand how this is differentiated from other market research providers I'm like, that's cool that's cool that's cool so this is not for you uh but i'll never forget one of the investors who was asking like do you really think that this approach is going to work um, do you really think like big companies will pay you to do this stuff? Uh, ended up like investing and believing wholeheartedly. Uh, and when we got the check for uh, his investment, I looked in the memo line and it just says, put it all on black. <laughs> like, like, he's like, I'm going to make this gamble. And uh, yeah, I took a photo of that and we, uh, we, we, we look at that from time to time and realize like, yeah, that's the, that's the gamble that we made that like, you know, companies will care about real people's stories and stuff like that. But so far, uh, you know, the roulette wheel or whatever the uh, adequate part of that metaphor is, uh, is looking good. Well, that's amazing. Um, and we want to thank you, Gunny, for participating in this conversation around stories, and um, we think that you're 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 definitely um, providing a really nice stack of chips for for companies to to bet on themselves. And we wish you the best, and uh, thanks for keeping the stories coming. Yeah, thank you for doing what you're doing, and thank you for a great conversation. Wow, that was um, that was really that was really something, really interesting. Um, so, uh, what did you think, Simon? I mean, what what's your takeaway? I mean, this, I think there are so many things that we could take away from this episode. I mean, I guess because it's a directly business-led application, but I think there is more than than just ordinary business storytelling go, telling going on here. I, I loved. Right. Um, the phrase that, that Gunny says about it, most people don't open their souls to market researchers. I mean, just just I mean, you, yeah, you, well, you've had more experience of working with market research firms than, than I have, so maybe you can expand on that. Yeah, I, I, I think that's absolutely true. And, and what's remarkable to me is that uh, Gunny and his team have seemed to have cracked the code in terms of getting real people to tell real stories um, as opposed to 
what we often see in market research, which is respond. We call them respondents. Yeah. Um, <laughs> respondents are not human beings. Yeah, I know. And, and, and these, these respondents often are giving answers to questions that they think the researcher wants to hear, whereas um, the, Gunny has, has, has shared quite, quite passionately um, the, the digging down and, and literally getting individuals to tell things that, you know, that you wouldn't expect them to tell. Um, so, so I wonder when, you know, one of the things is, you know, how can you get your customers to think differently about you? If he, he gets his respondents, or as we call them, human beings, to think differently about researchers, which I think is a really positive thing because it opens someone up. So if you are sharing a story, how can, you get, how can that story help you to redefine your um, customer and provide a relationship, I guess, is, is something. Can it be more symbiotic? You mentioned passion there. So. Yeah, and, and, and Gunny talked about what he called path, pathological passion. Um, and I guess the takeaway for me is that far too many um, businesses view passion as being something that's too emotional, whereas... I think what Gunny's trying to tell us is that if you have a narrative that you can really believe in, there is something quite compelling if you are telling that story from a point of view of real conviction and, as he calls it, passion. Um, passion is not X-rated, <laughs> and, it, and it shouldn't be so in business, or at least I think that's what Gunny's trying to tell us. Um, so nonfiction research <clears throat> seems to exist to uncover stories, but when we talked earlier, Simon, you, you, you came up with a phrase that we talked about with Gunny. Yeah, I'm, was... I, I don't think I um, coined the phrase, but... Oh, <laughs> but I'm going to credit you for it, Simon. <laughs> the phrase we're talking... Sure. Yeah, the phrase we're talking about is story listening, and I think... Often the mistake that people make is that they think of story as a broadcast tool instead of this two-way um, communication. And we should focus as much on how we hear stories and how we receive stories as we do how we share and tell them. So it's about, you know, do you listen to uncover a narrative both within your own story but in the way other people are sharing their stories? Do you hear authenticity? Are you being authentic, but are you listening with an authentic lens? Are you getting rid of your own biases to, to make sure that you really are listening? I often think about um, the, the problem we have with fake news. I think a lot of it is because people aren't willing to or don't understand how to engage with a story listening lens and go, am I hearing a story? Who's telling it and why are they telling it? And so I think with businesses, you can really start to think about who is the customer, what are they saying, and how am I listening, and how am I hearing that story? Right. Well, and, and also, you know, the idea that nonfiction research is willing to go to places, unexpected places, to uncover the story, the authentic stories for their clients, um, I think so often at least in the world of market research that I have experienced, 
um, on behalf of clients, you go to your target audience or your, your expected customer as opposed to those individuals who are not customers. And, you know, I love the fact that um, it's controversial perhaps, but makes perfect sense in terms of, you know, nonfiction's choice to go speak to bank robbers, their choice to go speak to escorts about intimacy. And lo and behold, it had little to do with sex and it had more to do with literally engagement and conversation. Um, And I think that that struck me that we need to sometimes uncover stories in unexpected places um, in order to to get the real story that we can help clients tell. Uh, But I will say that one of the little nuggets I found fascinating was when Gunny shared the anecdote about a client being so horrified by the insight that was uncovered that they said, we could never share this externally and we can't even share it internally. But it was nonfiction, right? It was an authentic story being told either about their their brand or about how they service their customers and they buried it. And I think the cautionary tale, you know, when we think about story listening is that there are going to be occasions in which you uncover how your narrative is landing or in the absence of a strong narrative, the story that your customers are filling in themselves, because we talk often about the fact that if you don't, if you don't create your own narrative, your customer for sure is going to invent one and it's not going to be the one you want. But if you uncover that through story listening and you bury it, eventually it's, it's probably going to come back to bite you. So that was, that was a real aha for me. Fantastic. So, so lots, lots that people can take away there, and I hope um, it was an enjoyable conversation for everybody. Right, and tune in next time for more story conversations um, from unexpected places. Mm-hmm.